Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Constructed Criticism Podcast. I'm the number one Ducks fan on this podcast, Spencer Howland, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, the king of coverage, Mason Clark. High praise, but thank you. <laughs> There's a band called State Champs. They've got a song called Kings of the New Age. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen to it. It's, okay. it's great. You'll love it. And everyone's favorite Beach Boys fan, Apes Nine. Uh, see, I feel like I answered a question before we started recording. <laughs> I knew you were doing And it. now I'm getting painted as the Beach Boys guy. <laughs> I'm, I'm not really, I'm not like a you're not big. Comfortable, you're not comfortable with this. No, this I'm not. There's like a million other things you could have painted me as. And that's not one of the ones I really would have gone with. Would you prefer Jess guy guy? I don't want to get into this. <laughs> I'm wearing a Scott hoodie right now. I would prefer Sky guy if anything. So uh, that was actually originally going to be the intro until you answered the question the way you answered it. But I have a question now for you. Yeah. Uh, were you in swing club in high school, Abe? We didn't even have that in my high school. Uh, that is. I was in swing club. We'll move on from this subject. We aren't going to talk about dancing this week, though. We are instead going to be talking about Brothers War and the Pick 2 set review. Uh, just a reminder, every show is live for patrons of $5 or more. gets posted in the Discord if you're a patron of $5 or more each and every week. So check that Patreon out. We have no Patreon shoutouts this week, but don't forget, our standard tournament is coming up. $10 or more gets you free entry into that. So head on over and check that out. Normally, right now, eh, we do always improving. But the set reviews take a while, man. Like they, this, It's a thing that happens that takes a while. So we're not going to do it this week. And I blame you, Ape. That's why. It was your call. Uh, we could do it. I don't care. No, it's going to take forever. It's, I'm just Ma- saying, Mason's you've like, not been Mason's doing it during like, pick no. two set reviews long before I showed up. I don't appreciate this blame. I feel like today I'm getting painted to be a lot of things that I'm not. <laughs> before we get into the pick two set review, though, I want to give some housekeeping. Uh, don't forget to share our sponsor at Gingbird Lehigh. They have been really amazing since joining i've seen the listeners and the amount of support the listeners are giving them by using the code ccmtg10 at checkout on their first order if you are uh, an, a usa listener and are able to check out gg lehigh store i highly recommend doing so they have amazing prices really quickly for patrons trophy for the last open and wristbands are being sent out this wednesday they're all packed up ready to go i just have to make the time to go to the post office it is on my calendar to do this wednesday so you should expect them relatively soon and then finally with the you know the the last trophy going out with our sponsor there's still time to enter our standard event on arena for i did the math guys so do you guys know how many entries we will accept for that tournament all of them so th- there is there is actually a limit. Oh, okay. The limit is 128. And we we try not to keep any of this money. So if 128 people enter, that means we get how much back into the price pool, Abe? 128 times $10 entry plus the 500. That's uh that's a little 1780 right there. Yeah. I bet if we got full entry, we could bump that up to 2K. I could probably make that happen. So go join a $10 2K. That's all I'm saying. That's just that's a possibility. That's a thing you could do for standard. But that's it. That's the housekeeping. Let's dive all the way in to our pick two set review. All right, guys. First up, we have sleepers. These are cards that we think will show up, but people maybe they're not necessarily talking about. 
These are the kind of cards that Abe Stein lives for. They're his favorites. So, Abe, what's your first sleeper? So, my first sleeper is uh, Energy Refractor, which is a two-mana artifact. When it enters the battlefield, you draw a card, and then has the activated ability, two mana, two generic mana, add one mana of any color to your mana pool. So... This card is like pretty innocuous. It's like probably not much better in most scenarios than Prophetic Prism, if not a little worse at filtering your mana. But I'm someone who is a pretty big believer in this. This ability I know is very novel and unique to be able to put on a card that's pretty frictionless to put into play. I think this enables likely some sort of combo where you can like make infinite colorless mana, but not necessarily spend it on whatever you want to. A common example that comes into my head because I spend too much time thinking in these in these patterns is like uh, if you have a grinning Ingus and a heartless summoning, you can now have a creature enter the battlefield and leave the battlefield infinite times. You have this card in play because you can turn the two colorless mana into a red mana to activate the Ingus. But there's a bunch of different things like this where it matters, and also just with the core mechanic of the set, one of the core things being these um, power stones. Uh, these power stone tokens that make mana that you can only use to cast artifact spells or activate abilities, you can actually use the energy refractor to turn two power stones into one real mana source of any color by filtering it through this artifact activated ability, um, which is also a pretty powerful thing just for non, um, non-fringe combo applications if you're someone who, you know, wants to play a little bit of realistic, not super screwy magic. And I think there's just in general, like, there's ton, tons of places where this can uh, be really applied, but just in general, the ability to filter loads of colorless mana into colored mana is a pretty unique ability um, and definitely is something I haven't seen many people talk about. Uh, this almost made my sleepers too, um, but I decided we're not a popper podcast, so I didn't want to like bring up the fact that I think that another one of these in popper is actually a pretty big deal. Um, I do want to say that you actually mentioned the key point that I wanted to bring up for this, maybe in something like standard, which is that, that you can activate the power stones to actually use power stone mana because of this card. I don't think that that's a non-zero. I mean, I think that that is, I think that that is a non-zero impact that this card could have. I don't know that it will have it, but I think that it's really easy to see a card like this and be like, oh, it's bad X of this effect probably not good there might be a reason that it's bad x of this effect right like it could be because oh this like the other versions of this effect were actually too good in things like standard so just want to call that out for what it's worth since we haven't talked about power stones yet power stones are a token generated in this set by a lot of cards that are typically intertapped and they generate one colorless mana that can be used on and only artifact for casting spells, but can be used on anything's activated abilities. So, for example, you could not cast your like Seedrino using that for the colorless, but you could activate your Eldrazi Displacer to blink your Seedrino. So that is what that mechanic does when it comes to Energy Reflector. And yeah, I very interesting. I also thought about this for Popper when I saw it too here. And then I wonder if in Pioneer we don't have we have Prismatic Prism, I believe, from like the Kaladesh set. But I wonder if having eight of these matters for anything. I don't think we have anything that's like KCI adjacent. But, you know, that's the sort of thing that jumps out to this. Like, oh, can you chain these together with their draw effect and like maybe make them into more than the sum of their parts? And maybe, you know, the Metal Colossus deck really wants this card. Next up, we have Evangel of 
synthesis is that how you yeah say vandal synthesis i think this is this almost made my hits um this card i think is just the so, so this is a uh so what, a, what does it do blue and a black for a two three uh phyrexian human cleric it says when it enters the battlefield draw a card then discard a card and as long as you've drawn two or more cards this turn it has plus one plus oh and menace so i think this is like probably in the running for the best to drop in standard. I think that this card, like, inside the core of the blue-black X decks, has the most appealing, like, curve into Rafine. It has the most appealing curve into Kaido, if that's a card that people want to play. Um, it is very easy to get out of um, out of range of Cutdown, which feels like it'll be a pretty premier uh, removal spell given the power of some of the multicolor two drops they're entering the format it has immediate value upon being cast and yeah i think that like it just slots really well into the standard format and maybe it's just people don't talk about standard that much but this card feels like it really is like the premier two drop for many of the blue black based mid-range decks i actually think that underground river being in standard with this card is a pretty huge deal you know, we've we've seen a lot of these mono blue decks, right? In standard, we know that people have tried. Is it? Um, but like, you know, there there is something lacking in the form of, you know, is there things that we could be doing for some of the other blue uh, colors? Uh, and and underground river and this card actually kind of make a lot of sense in those tempo decks where you're already going to be naturally going through your deck a lot. Um, and there are other cards in the set that get cheaper with with the gin that actually power up this card too I, I like this as a sleeper as well yeah it's pretty interesting in the context of standard just getting to like you can get it to land right just like in the late game you like don't need to play your land as much and then you kind of hold it you draw this you, you know, loot your land or something else so seems like it's pretty reasonable with early and late so kind of like this card i also like that it feeds itself right like if you draw the second one it feeds the first one which is kind of hot. Yeah, I think it just does a lot to filter your filter your draws um, early and be a really really potent threat with a lot of things you just want to be doing in uh, in the standard format anyway, especially in decks like Esper. So, well, in every single set, my co-hosts tell me that I am clearly not connected to the interwebs of Magic, and I talk about a card that I have heard nobody talk about, and they're like, "Oh, everybody talked about this card for like two days, Spencer. You just were working those two days." Uh, and I want to talk about Hergul Master Wizard. This card is a legendary creature, human wizard uh, advisor. At the beginning of your end step, if you've cast a non-creature spell this turn, reveal the top five cards of your library. For each card type among non-creature spells that you have cast this turn, you may put a card, uh, put that type from among the revealed cards into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom in a random order. Let me tell you about some cards really quick. Okay. Mox Amber, Mishra's Bobble, and instants and sorceries that's it that's that's my sell on this card i think that this being a legendary creature and getting to be activated off of mox amber is crazy i cannot believe no human has talked about this card that i've seen i've literally read this card for the first time in the last 48 hours and i am shocked i i think this card is actually busted wide open i, I guess uh my, my, I guess my, my, my first question is just to make sure I'm understanding you. You're, it's implying you want to put this into the Breach deck when you say that? Or do you mean you want to build a deck with this and like use cheap artifacts like that? 
I think I think the the fact that breach the breach deck exists helps this card a lot. But I think that this card is so powerful that it could also, alongside Emery, make its own deck. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think one thing a lot of people miss with this card on the first read through is that you don't have to sync up the card you've cast to trigger it with the one you take. Where typically I think that's something that does happen and would like lead to this card being a lot weaker. For example, if I play my bobble and I can't take my expressive, you do. So wait, you, oh, it... you 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 do oh. have to do that. Well, I can't read. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what are you saying? That's well, not true. So, so you my, my problem do... with the card then is, I, I well, at least in Breaches, the deck has so many different card types due to Unholy Heat that I, I think that yes. we could have to, we, if we change the deck from an Unholy Heat deck to maybe a Bolt deck and do stuff like that, then maybe it's there. But also, worth noting, if you play an Enchantment, you can grab Urza Saga, which is kind of cool. Yeah, so actually, I think that uh, the fact that it, the fact that so often you will have a large number of types of cards that you cast in something like Breach. It's actually pretty high. I got, I got to watch the Breach deck a lot over the last uh, couple weeks. Uh, got And I, I kind of disagree with you here. I, I actually think that this card fits into Breach pretty well. But also, I think that it just naturally fits into like any Emery deck with Mox Ember and Mistress Bobble as like a slam dunk. You and I agree it is strong with Emery and Mox Ember and Mistress Bobble. Okay. Cool. I do think that maybe here's the secret on the breach because I have to listen to Jesse tell me is it Fable or is it Ledger a bunch? This could just be one of those spots, and then you have the other one, like Fable or Ledger Shredder, minimum. I I, I think that for what it's worth, like this doesn't isn't like a four of all of a sudden in your Mox Amber or breach decks, but I think that it could be good enough to like actually build a new Emery this deck. Yeah, I would not be surprised at all if this shows up as a one-of in the Breach deck at a minimum without, you know, doing anything else. Yeah, I mean, I could even see this being a card that fits into some rendition of bringing back, uh, like, the the Urza decks. Like, even just, like, the Blue-White Urza decks, I think, could play this really well. In the sense that you really only want to pick, and to the the thing that you're talking about, Mason, with you don't want to have too many different types that you're pulling for. If you're playing Hercule in your Breach deck and you want to find an enchantment, but you or like, you know, you can't find everything so you have so many different types. But if you were to build your deck so it's focused around like, I'm going to have powerful, impactful artifacts and I'm going to have a bunch of instants or whatever and counter match to back those up, um, especially with something like Urza, then this card really shines because you can have the density of both you need to really make it be at its best. Um, and you really don't want to get spread too thin, but it is a really, really powerful card and really powerful effect. Just, I didn't even think about the fact that you could just play this play a bobble and on top of your bobble draw you're immediately going to just net an impulse for an artifact which is incredibly strong yeah yeah i mean i already thought this card was really good it's i was surprised people right? didn't talk about it yeah. also spencer i was glad you brought it up <laughs> but uh yeah I, I did not even think about the, the zero amount artifacts it's like a real big draw here so yeah and the fact that it's legendary so like it like m oh man yeah i'm gonna move on my next sleeper is going to be in a theme of some of the cards that I'm going to talk about. Um, and I want to be clear. Like, people are going to be like, did somebody possess Spencer's body? Is Spencer not okay? He's talking about so many white cards in the set. Is somebody holding a gun to his head? At Abe Stein, for those wa- not listening and not watching, is like, yeah, what is happening? Why is Spencer talking about so many white cards? The next card I want to talk about is in the trenches. I think that this card has multi-format applications, and nobody's talking about it. 
And the reason that I want to talk about this is because of the number of people that want uh, Nykthos banned in Pioneer. And they're like, the only deck that plays it is mono green. There's no reason to have it. Just like, I actually think cards like this and some of the other cards we'll get into actually give, like, I would love to see mono white and mono red, mono blue. Like, all of these Nykthos' decks exist. And I actually think this card does a really good job of fitting into that in Pioneer. Where instead of building some, like, random prison deck, you're actually building, like, this mono-white Nykthos mid-range deck that gets to play this anthem that it already wants that turns into a removal spell. I need to read the card first. Holy crap, I'm, like, going off. It's white, white, one for an enchantment. Creatures in control get plus one, plus one. And then for white and five, you can exile target non-land permanent. That's right, not a creature. You control until it leaves the battlefield and activate it only as a sorcery. How has no one talked about this card? This is Crusade is a card that has seen play historically. What is happening, Abe? Yeah, I think people have kind of forgotten and don't give a lot of respect to the power of Glorious Anthem anymore. Like, that card is just really good if you're putting much creatures in play. I do think that this could be a pretty a pretty good get for the, like, mono-white, uh, like, Yorion Devotion decks if they were to start slamming themselves a little more aggressively in Pioneer. Um, but overall, especially just, like, Glorious Anthem is already... When it's inefficient enough cost, right? Like, Lords are so strong because when you're just playing a bunch of creatures and your lord makes all of your creatures better, that's a huge amount of, of advantage to gain. And anthems are really, really sticky ways to get that kind of upside. And the fact that this also gives you a mana sink to remove your opponent's most problematic thing, like, that's just a lot to pass up if you're a deck that's looking for any amount of of the anthem effect. It's like giving you that extra nudge to be like, okay, what if it also dealt with the fact that your opponent played some haymaker and you're kind of like out of gas because all your creatures are in play. Yeah. Like how does the mono white deck deal with Shieldred, right? It's like, well, let's just put four main deck answers in for Shieldred to like get it out of the way so that I can be this mid range aggressively. Slim. Like it, it, I think people, especially right now are really focused on the top decks in pioneer what's doing well right now and actually not thinking enough outside of the box with a really powerful set especially when like every set introduced into pioneer can really alter the format like it did in modern you know eight years ago and uh with that being said though i do want to say that i also think this card has a ton of standard applications i think that you know while i'd much rather have honor of the pure and standard there's going to be a lot of games where you get to a board stall where you actually do get to six mana and can use this effect. So I don't think it reaches into modern or anything, but yeah, that's kind of my thoughts. Mason, any thoughts from you? I was really surprised to hear both of you talk about this card because I thought this was a slam dunk in the mono white Yorion deck, which is the white devotion deck in pioneer that already plays a bunch of. So if you haven't seen this deck, it, it plays creatures and the creatures generate weird value. So it's like Night of the White Orchid, Charming Prince, Skyclave Apparition. And what the deck does is it actually uses those to stop the other aggro decks and kind of tries to set up and lock them out and then go over the top with Yorion, very similar to how the Ephemerate deck went modern by using Charming Prince and Yorion to flicker each other and create instrument insurmountable advantage. So this card, while not, I don't think, a four of in that deck, 
I think in your 80 card Gorgon deck, you could play two of these pretty easily. And then suddenly you have that removal spell like we talked about. You get your creatures buffed up. So when you're playing these like Thraben Inspectors into Charming Prince curves, you're actually trading more. And then in matchups where you have to race, you can race. And then there are a good amount of tokens in Pioneer. So the ex- the exile ability, it can only be activated once, right? And the thing will come back. But that being said, you're a Skyclave Apparition deck that trades off. You can do that, then flicker this with Yorion, and then you can activate it again. And the Mono White deck is desperate for ways to use its mana once it kind of extinguishes all the clues that it generates and like else like Sarah Paragon type stuff. So I, I think this is a slam dunk into that deck. So I love it. I love hearing that my sleepers we are this is this is the first time that nobody told me that my sleepers were not <laughs> widely talked about since i came back to the show so i love it uh mason what about you all right so i have a sleeper but it's a meld card so first we have to read the two front halves so we can get wait to the hold on things. mason you're not allowed to have more than one card yep. as your pick two that's right I'm, I'm, so which one a are meld we card about? is the back i'm talking about the back but it'd be unfair to not talk oh, about the front oh i see yeah so, so i, I care about the back part but okay you so you just trashed me Six times for no reason? Is that what we're doing? No, the land shouldn't count. Uh, Titania (laughs) Voice of Gaia is the first part of our Titania meld card. So Titania Voice of Gaia is one green green for a 3-4 elemental with reach. And it has whenever one or more lands you... uh, Sorry, land cards are put into your graveyard from anywhere. You gain two life. And then at the beginning of your upkeep, if there are four or more land cards in your graveyard and you both own and control Titania, Voice of Gaia, and a lamb named Argos Sanctuary meld into Titania, Gaia's Incarnate. So, really quickly, I'm going to let everyone talk about this card after I'm done and get to the big one, but just some quick things to note, like Fable Passage type stuff in Standard or whatever, that card comes back, works really well with this card. Uh, and in Pioneer, things like Grizzly Salvage, Shader Wayfinder, and this card work really well together in the Greasefang deck, which we've already talked about. And will be kind of my main selling point. So just keep that in mind as you're putting lands incidentally into your graveyard. This is also three mana for can't stay away. Now, Argos Sanctum of Nature is the other part of the meld. This is a land. This land enters the battlefield tapped unless you control a legendary green creature. It has G. Just do it. You know, make a G. And then two green green tap. Create a 2-2 green bear creature token. Uh, so this land enters tapped a fair amount of the time. Uh, in a, a deck like Grease we talked about. But... Your Titania is going to make it enter untapped going forward. So got a little bit there and a little bit of a way to use your mana if the game goes long. So the card... Wait, hold on. It, you you can actually make this enter untapped in Grease Fangle like a lot of... Well, you have time. to have a green legendary creature. But the Chariot is a legendary Oh, creature. yeah, good point. I hadn't considered... Yeah, yeah, you crew the, the thing and play it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's actually... Would line up perfectly on turn five for using your mana, too. And you hit all your land drops this Grease Fang because you just have so many things that incidentally find land. So that's a great point. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. It also, the catch. land mills you through on that activation at sorcery speed. Yes. 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 Yeah. Sorry. I totally, I guess I didn't read that out loud. Maybe. I don't know. But yes, if I didn't mention that, that is big to the whole Grease Fang selling point. So you get those two cards. And once you have them and you combine them, you get Titana Gaia Incarnate, which is a Vigilance, Reach, Trample, Haste, Star Star. And Gaia's power and toughness are equal to the number of lands you control. When this creature enters the battlefield, uh, return all land cards from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. And then it has three and a green. Put four plus one plus one counters on target land you control. It becomes a zero zero elemental creature with haste. It is still a land. So, why do I care about all this? Why is this on my sleeper? So, in Grease Fang and Pioneer, like I keep mentioning, 
all of your cards that you already want to play enable this card and have ways that they synergistically work in various forms. And then this becomes your backup threat that while if they are entering your graveyard heavily, won't be the biggest creature in the world. It is a pretty reasonable mana sink that creates a small army and lets you get around things. So to find the pieces, you have Seda Wayfinder and Grizzly Salvage for Argos Sanctum. And then you have Grizzly Salvage to find Titania and can't stay away if they kill your Titania if you don't have a Grease Fang you can already bring back. So I think this is a really easy backup threat to have in that deck that kind of wants a backup threat and plays, I would argue, not very good cards like Thoughtseize for the deck in order to just fill the curve out. And you can just have a backup plan that does the thing. And then you get this big end game thing that goes way over the top of what your opponent's doing and kind of, you know, fireballs them. So that's my pitch. I don't think your pitch is unreasonable. Also, uh, Mason, I would never tell you that you can't put a card that you want into the set review. I was just teasing you. Um, I would tell you you can't put I, basic lands and Don't worry, buddy. I got you. A little loving bullying. <laughs> yeah, I get it. One of us, you know, is rude to the other. I will say that um, I don't get to go to Atlanta for, like, a lot of reasons. But uh, MTG Summit is coming up. And if this set was legal for MTG Summit, the these cards would be in my deck and I would be playing Grace Fang. I, I think that we covered this exactly the amount that we needed to. It's We didn't even, like, really cover its activated ability on the backside which I believe just ends the game because of the way that Grease Fang would work for this card. But I will say that I am in an inappropriate number of groups for people testing for Atlanta and that Titania Voice of Gaia is getting love. Like that card is on people's radar. And because of that, this is on people's radar. That land is just something else. They just be given token producing lands to every color now. I, I do think that, that land is busted. Even like... Just as, like, a land that just gets to make two twos if, like... What, what's so funny is that there is already legendary decks in multiple formats. And this, if your deck is green and has a bunch of, like, multicolored legends, for example... Cool. Like... You guys gonna write my bard class. Go ham, fam. Easy. And it's... The land isn't legendary. That's, like... That's the other piece that's, like, kind of wild to me. So, uh, Mason, your next card, though, uh, almost made my... Uh, hits. Yeah, Bushwhack. So this is G for a sorcery. Choose one. Search library for a basic land card. Reveal it, put it in your hand, then shuffle. And then the other mode is you can target creature you control, fight target creature you don't control. So we've seen uh, how Lay of the Land effects, which are the, the shorthand for a surgery deck for a basic put in there, uh, have been pretty good in the past when there's some added bonus to them. So we saw like a Tomb of Aether combined with all the energy cards. It was good enough for standard. Um, and Bushwhack here actually provides a removal ba spell. It got banned in standard. It wasn't good enough for mm -hmm. standard. Yeah, it, it got banned in standard. Yeah, too and good for standard. Many speak of this, but few think of it. Regardless, uh, Bushwhack, though, kind of while not doing it both, right? It's not like you get to search for the land and fight a creature. It does have the uh, ability to just kill something immediately. Oh, it gives you the option to kill something, sorry. So in a deck like Mono Green and Pioneer, maybe you want a couple less force and want some of these if you think aggro decks are going to be popular and you're already making concessions like Lovestruck Beast. And so this is kind of a way to meet in the middle there. Uh, and then for, you know, Standard and other Pioneer decks that aren't just Devotion that are green, this is a great way to kind of pad your land count and still have a spell when you're floating out. I have a lot of thoughts on this card. One... 
Mason, I, I think that you might have misspoke at the beginning, and correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it does not grab a land. It grabs a basic land. I think that you said it later mm. in the, the segment, but it, it is basic land. It It's not actually busted in half and should be like a mythic rare that costs $2,000. The thing that I will say about this card is, one, why did fight cards get so good? Like, what is what is happening? I, I actually think this is one of those other cards that like, when you think about like mono green aggro in Pioneer, which was like a fringe deck not that long ago, it comes back in. It's like, wait a second. Like, what if four of my lands are lay of the lands that just come into play tapped as my turn one play? I, I don't actually think that's unreasonable. I, I, I think this card is that good where it brings other things back into the fold. And the thing is, you know, somebody punch me in the face if I'm talking crazy. Don't do that really though because, you know, we're on the internet. But like... This fight card with, you know, some of the prowess creatures, like, this this is pretty cool for, like, a green-red prowess deck as well. I don't know. I'm I'm a huge fan of this card. I think this card has pioneer applications and standard applications. I don't think it gets into modern. Um, but also, like, it's not like we still don't have really good cards in things like gruel, green-white, mono-green... Stuff like that, and uh, you know, green white's getting getting uh, a dual land right now. There's a lot of applications for this card. This this almost made my hits. Yeah, I think this card does a lot to allow people to play like double pip colored spells in their decks if they're playing like even just green mid rangey or green aggressive decks in a way that they were not able to before, like. The fight is good enough to justify putting a mana fixer spell into your deck because in the situations where the fight is good, it's so good that like the downside being effectively like a tap land as a mana fixer in the spots where it's not really valuable is a high enough floor for it to like still shine and then you can still play cards that well, like Spencer was saying, like with the rest of the pain land cycle being finished in Pioneer in the set. This whole this is another card that fits into that puzzle of like, okay, we can now I can play a deck full of Llanowar Elves and also play a double white spell or you know, just a spell that costs two mana that is not like two colored mana that is not green without it ruining my mana base. Well, we saw this in standard two where it like let you play single colored spells really easily too, where it was like basically uh it, and and for standard, we'll give standard as an example, like if you're not playing Wind Grace right? Then this is just better than Evolving Wilds by a substantial margin. And it it means that if I'm base green, I get to splash for free, which is kind of where you want green to be. That, that's part of its power level. So my first hopeful is one that actually is a hit on our list. That's Lay Down Arms. I'm going to read it. And then I'm actually going to let you go first before me on Lay Down Arms. This is one white for a sorcery Abe and it exiles target creature with mana value less then or equal to the number of planes you control its controller gains three life Abe, why would this be a hit for you so the big reason that this is a hit for me is the mono white deck we we're talking about in pioneer just uh, a few minutes ago i think that this card is just such a big upgrade to to that deck and being a deck that plays a a bunch of planes just like a huge amount and b really wants ways to 
exile a lot of the premium threats that just happen on curve in Pioneer, and also, like, including Llanowar Elves specifically. I feel like that's a big card that, like, matters a ton in Pioneer that has been very, very difficult to answer for the color white. And I think there's ways that, beyond just mono-white decks, there's ways for, like, blue-white control to kind of restructure itself to be more base white than blue as kind of uh, cards like absorb kind of fall out of fashion and playing like cancels is not really as uh, exciting as it used to be where you can play a mana base that is still blue white so you can play some of the, the big hitters like teferi and you can have dovin's veto still in your in your wheelhouse but it's a real removal spell that's good from turn one at answering lanor elves or permanently answering things like old growth troll or any of the things that happen on curve in a lot of the um the really fair matches in a deck that wants to hit all of its land drops anyway, and I think that kind of application for a single mana removal spell that is borderline unconditional in that way is just incredibly powerful. I think it would be it would be shocking to me if this card did not become as ubiquitous as like Fatal Push in the context of uh, of Pioneer as a card. Yeah, I'll go into it now. Uh, I think that the reason this makes my helpful is one, I hope that Standard gets to see this card see play. I, I, I look at a lot of things in the context of Standard. Standard is my second favorite format behind Sealed. And I I hope that we get to a world in which Mono White gets to play something like this. And it's really nice that it's the, that the downside, like them gaining three life means that like Mono White aggro decks, it's not just free for them to just kill your stuff. You know, stuff like that. We'll get into it even more later. But like I've been hinting that I actually think that mono white devotion is like the biggest winner from this set by a lot. I think this card reminds me a lot of like when decks got uh unholy heat. Like I think mono white got like a huge win in this set. And the fact that it not that even in standard and pioneer and like every format that it's it doesn't say basic planes like it's just the number of planes you control is a pretty huge win. I really hope that this is costed right for the right cost in your deck for to give us more cheap interaction, even if it's at sorcery speed. What about you, Mason? Yeah, I think, especially when I think about the context of Pioneer, uh, a lot of decks have eight one-mana ways to interact with an elf. Uh, and not all the decks choose to do that all the time, but it is kind of a indicator of like something that's a little strong and able to compete like a was mentioning so having this to answer elf is really big or like you know fiery impulse and lightning axe to a lesser extent but something like spike field hazard maybe for the is it decks uh and then like fatal push you know and stuff like that so there are ways that you can you know you could play disfigure if you wanted to so having another one of those i think scales much better than portable whole synergy with nykthos is and so it's like okay well i don't get the one extra mana but I also, you know, spend one to answer your three drop and those sort of swings where you like, you know, like we mentioned before, that deck plays a lot of utility creatures, you know, you something like Night of the White Orchid, your turn for Shieldred, grab a planes, play planes from hand, lay down arms, this, you know, like that's a pretty powerful interaction and pretty easy to set up. There's a ton of white artifacts that I could go grab with my Karn for my Wano White Yorion Devotion deck for what it's worth. But, you know, we can talk about that later. I want to talk about my next card. 
uh, and this is the reason that I've been really focused on why I believe that Nykthos is actually key to this in the future. Kalia's Reconstruction is white, 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 X. Sorcery, look at the top seven cards of your library, but put X artifacts and or creature cards with mana value three or less from among them onto the battlefield, put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. You know, people to be doing a lot of talking about Storm the Festival for green, and this be doing a lot of, you know, that Genesis Wave, Storm the Festival stuff. And the thing that I find about some of these white decks, and Mason kind of covered this earlier in the episode, is like, it's not like they're playing like eight drops. They're like playing a ton of like three or less cards that add up the value, right? And I, I actually think this card's one of the reasons to be Mono White Devotion in Pioneer. Uh, I, I think this card's actually insane. I think I think it's like Storm the Festival good. I, I don't really have more to say. Like, I think Genesis Wave, Storm the Festival, other stuff is like a comparable comp to this. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts? I think this card is really sweet. I think it the one big thing about it compared to like a Genesis Wave is that you are capped at just the seven cards of your library. So it's like kind of a big question to me if like you're supposed to be casting this for five mana or for six mana or for seven mana or depending on like how your deck is built, you know, how many things... You can only find a max of seven things, and you're probably not going to find seven every time. But, you know, if you are playing... We, we talk a lot, and we have talked a lot over the last, like, few years about how there's just so many good three-mana white cards in Magic right now, and they keep on printing more and more good three-mana white cards that a card that allows you to, for six mana, get three of them into play is a lot of value to get. And even at five mana, getting two of them into play out of the top seven, if you build your deck for this card, this is going to be, like, you know, the biggest swing in your deck. And even at, like, four mana, finding the right one at the right time can be a huge thing. So, yeah, it's it's definitely a, a really cool utility card that, um, you know, if you're playing one of these more mid-rangey white decks that relies on finding the right the right tool for the right job this is just incredibly good at that and also at kind of pushing the battlefield over the edge in terms of uh of how much you're able to commit at once and, and get ahead on man in that way i don't know how you feel about mason think of it this way you draw an opening hand and x is the card you can put into it right so you would build i mean when you build this a deck with this card right you're going to try and maximize three or less things like we talked about you two it's so much easier in white these days to have three drops and lower that are impactful and so it's really like okay i think on average if i were to build a deck with this i would probably have like four lands three spells is probably like what my hand ends up being after a certain point in the game and so if x is three like you mentioned then you get three things and if they're all of the higher end of the mana cost you generate a lot of extra a lot of pseudo mana for what you're getting, just which is like kind of the strength. Yeah, you're, getting, you're getting three mana in that. You're getting three mana in that situation. Yeah, right? and that is one of the like the storm of the festival comparison. Storm of the festival often gets like about you know seven to ten mana worth of things when it's played, and so this does a similar comparison while not having the flashback, obviously, to like the scale's a little weird. But yeah, this is a very interesting card uh, for that. It, reads really weird i had to like read it like five times to make sure i understood what it was doing but yeah it's very curious to see i'm interested to see you know 
we are moving into a Phyrexia world after Dominar after Brothers War, sorry. And you know, typically those are artifact heavy sets, and there could be a lot of things where the part of this is artifacts and or creatures really comes up. So yeah, I'm really curious to see how this card plays out over the next couple of months. Mason, talk to me about Awaken the Woods. Yeah, Awaken the Woods is my first hopeful. It's a sorcery for X green green. Create X one one green force dryad land creature tokens. They are affected by summoning sickness. So they basically make dryad arbor. If you've seen that card from Future Sight, it makes those. It's a really interesting ramp spell because it creates, it like generates lands essentially, right? Without pulling them out of your deck. So it's this weird, like, okay, if you have something like some deck that can generate a lot of mana and wants to do something with it but doesn't want to play a lot of lands, this does something. And it's also a way to start generating lands up the curve for you to get to something bigger. So if you already have a bunch of mana, right, then this becomes an army in the can, right? Like if you have six, seven mana or whatever, it's like, boom, get four or five, you know, one ones. Not the most impactful thing in the world, but it is like a wide board presence that you could build around do something. Well, also in the early turns, you know, you play it for X's one, X's two. It's like a cultivate explosive vegetation that, you know, the lands are vulnerable uh, and they don't stay around forever, but you have the upside that they're also creatures. So there's benefits of that, you know, things like you have like a deadly dispute type card or something along those lines where having creatures kind of weirdly matters. And we haven't had an effect like this. And I think it is uniquely powerful potentially. And so I just have it as my hopeful. I mean, I know what I want to do with this. I want to put this in my Nissa Genesis Wave uh, EDH deck. Like this, this is that's what I want to be doing with this. Just forests making forests so that they can keep on forest in your forests. Well, no, no, because you make the forest. The forests make extra mana because of Nissa, and then you Gen Wave. So you can put more forests for, in the boy. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, okay. It's, it's... It's like that meme. It's like, when when does the fun start? It's like, when are we going to use something for man that isn't forest? That's the fun part. We don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, yeah, no, that, I mean, that card Nissa is very strong too. It's you know, a good point for something like Pioneer. Nissa is kind of an underexplored card there. Think of all the landfall triggers you could I, I don't think it's underexplored. I saw a ton of play in Mono Green before they changed how the deck worked, right? Like, yeah, I guess. Well, but I mean, so this is an interesting thing, a philosophical update. Is Pioneer two years ago the same Pioneer as now? And if a card has saw play before there, but the format's radically changed, is it fair for me to say underexplored if it's in a new light? This is something I often struggle with, and I don't know the answer to. So if listeners want to let me know where y'all would like to know, I think about this an, honestly a lot. <laughs> so if anyone wants to help, that'd be great. I think if anything really, really uses this, it's you more likely in the mind. space of how can I right like I can play this with my Omnath and now I have that's what I was gonna say my Omnath makes my more mana in my Jeskai <laughs> Ascendancy deck I can have my my card that uh allows me to go off and my Omnath enabler Jeskai there you go you can take that don't don't start with this Jeskai <laughs> Sahili filigree master. Wait a second, isn't Filigree the puppy fox from... That's the Filigree familiar. Yeah. Filigree is just a... Wait filigree a is a... Uh, it's like a a matter <laughs> that Sahili is, is good at shaping. That's... But do, I'm not... I haven't read this yet. Does she make Filigree familiar? No, no. Filigree is the... Like, like Abe's saying, it's like the metal she bends. Like, she's like 
She's like, mm-hmm. like you know how Magneto does magnets? She does filigree. Yeah, I get it. But I haven't read this card yet. Does she make me a filigree? No familiar? shot. She makes thopters like every Sahili. Sahili only loves thopters. All and right. servos. All right. Go and ahead. servos. Yeah, yeah. What, it, what does More this like card do? Hirsch, go off queen. Anyways, Sahili is two blue-red for a three-loyalty Planeswalker Sahili. Her plus one is scry. You may tap an untapped artifact you control if you do draw a card. Minus two, create two one-one color stopter artifact creature tokens with flying. They gain haste until end of turn. Minus four, you get an emblem with artifact creatures you control, get plus one, plus one, and artifact spells you cast cost one less to cast. So uh, this card, I'm not exactly sure what you're supposed to do. That's why I'm hopeful for. I, I'm sure there's something you could probably do with this in like an artifact shell. And I think in Pioneer, she might be like a, uh, you know, an Urza at home with making things cost less and pumping your team up and having this like go wide artifact deck. And we have seen artifact decks in the past try to have some grindy element post board and Sahili could be that for them. You know, she does make two Thopters. So you already have like your Foundry Master in play. They're going to be really big. And then when you alter, it's kind of an anthem for the rest of the game. lets you unload your spells more. Uh, I think she's just a really cool, interesting build around card, and I really like this card. Hot take: This will be the vintage build around hotness for two months, and everybody will be like, "Ban it, ban everything, blah blah blah." Uh, I don't know how, I don't know why, but I can see it. This is this is going to be the vintage hotness for two months. I think it's pretty sweet. This is a planeswalker that just goes plus into ultimate. I also think it's really sweet that this this allows for you to play an artifact deck along with Tezzeret from. Um, from Neon Dynasty that can more consistently plan on like leveraging the artifacts it wants to play as its early game into its mid game with a Planeswalker on four. Because I felt, I feel like, especially with the amount of artifacts coming out of the pipeline in this set, and we expect coming down the pipeline in the future sets, um, as we kind of dig more into this whole Phyrexian thing going on in Madrid right now, Tezzeret is a card that I'm definitely looking at. And I think this card likely will play well with that worth noting too rotation happens our first set l drain again the food mechanics stay woke that's all i got to say on this <laughs> abe is not impressed the next card that we have <laughs> the next card that we have abe is teething wormlet yeah so uh teething wormlet is uh one of my hopefuls for this set it is a single green for a one one worm uh, and it says, Teething Wormlet has Death Touch as long as you control three or more artifacts. And whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control, you gain a life. And if this is the first time this ability has resolved this turn, put a plus one plus one counter on Teething Wormlet. So, this is kind of like, I've I've definitely gotten on Mason's case a bit for loving three mana creatures with haste in red. I love a one one for one in green that gets some counters for doing something else. And I, I think the fact this card, like, encourages you to kind of play a an aggressively slanted deck with, like, artifacts. Um, I really like that a lot. And I like that it kind of presents some of scaling. It has the modify synergy, like, pretty plainly stapled on there, right? Like, you're going to want to play this with artifacts so that you can enable its abilities. But it's going to get plus and plus one counters, which we'll play with. Um, a decent amount of the the good things in Neon Dynasty to play with the artifact synergies. And I don't know, I think that if this card turns out to be good, it will probably be in 
in a world where it's played with a bunch of artifact creatures and getting aggressive and it's like one of your best curve starters and if that's the case i'm happy so i don't know how you guys feel about it but feels like another possible route for um the green aggressive decks that could exist in this format to go yeah i i agree you know there's like a lot of modified cards and there's some other like green and white tokeny cards too that involve artifacts that we'll talk about later in the set review so there are you know a good amount of things I think to help the wormlet out and you know the bar on one mana creatures in general is just really low to be playable like one mana and like has some like reasonable effects or scales is always like looked at for standard formats at minimum so I think this one kind of pushes the bar really high too with having you know like essentially metal craft death touch so this almost would be my hits I think that uh, hardened scales not that long ago was like a top tier deck in pioneer i think that uh this card fits into that inappropriately well for like what that deck is trying to do where where that deck is trying to go i would not be surprised to see this card in the top eight of the rcs in a hardened scales deck yeah, speaking of what Mason said about uh, one-drops that do just any little extra thing on top, uh, my other hopeful card is Recruitment Officer, which is a single white for a 2-1 human soldier, which is, you know, just a little Savannah Lions action with some good creature types, but the fun doesn't stop there. It also has the ability, three and a white, look at the top four cards of your library, you may reveal a creature card with mana value three or less, from among them and put it in your hand, put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. This card is so much better than various other Savannah Lions that I have registered in the past, just on the merit of being Savannah Lions, that, like, this is immediately an upgrade to that kind of deck in Pioneer. I think this card has a lot of legs in Standard, the ability for it to just give you a place to invest your mana that is not the board is very relevant in matchups where people have a lot of mass removal for you um, or you need to find very specific cards to answer what's going on on the board. And also in contexts outside of like just being a pure like white creature deck, if you were to play like this in a deck that had any amount of flash element, the fact you can activate this ability at the end of your turn um, or at the end of your opponent's turn to kind of like continue to snowball forward if you're playing with any amount of permission or, um, you know, protection spells. It just does a lot at every stage of the game where you need it to. Um, and it being like your best play on turn one and like one of your best draws on turn 10 is just such a powerful combination of effects that I would love to see it succeed. I'm a huge fan of the every part of the Buffalo and this one does it in a multitude of ways. One, it's a one drop that's a Savannah Lions. That's a part of the Buffalo. Two, it's a human. That's a part of the Buffalo. Three, for standard, it's a soldier, which for some reason now is part of the Buffalo. And then four, it has an activated ability that you want in all of those Buffalo parts. One, I think that this is... It is weird how much press this card is getting. It, people that like this card like it a lot. And it's like burning tree emissary to me like it's like just a role player that like fixes some of your problems some amount of the time and like i'm really glad that people like abe are excited about this but it's like this card gets has gotten so much love <laughs> like what is happening it, it is a strict upgrade for what you were doing abe i'm really happy for you 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the two ones in Pioneer. Because I think a lot of people were quick to be like, Soldier of the Pantheon, you're out. And Soldier of the Pantheon weirdly lines up really well with some of the top decks. Specifically, when it comes to removal spells and creatures they're playing early, like Red-Black. And uh, against like the Rising Gruel deck, uh, you know things like Special Mission, Burgery Emissary. It just kind of blanks. I am curious to see kind of where things end up. And I imagine it's going to start with like four of this card. It might say that way, but I don't know what the other two ones around it will end up being. But yeah, it is uh, good to have a way to use your mana in the mono white deck when you flood out with a deck that has very little agency over its draw step. And if just floods out, has a hard time actually pushing through if it doesn't draw the card Brave the Elements. So I love it. Uh, for what it's worth. Uh, you know, while I'm like, oh man, this card got a lot of love for a two one. Like, it, it was maybe warranted because like things were missing. It also, uh, it also, I think, is like a candidate for one, maybe one of the first candidates for Savannah Lions. You only really want to play two of because drawing the second copy of this card once you already have a first does so little, especially in those mono white decks and Pioneer that have uh, have like extraction specialist where you just want access to the effect. So if, like, Soldier with Pantheon's protection ability is that important, maybe it's better to draw the first or, like, have a couple of these so you can draw them over, like, your second or third Dauntless Bodyguard, but it's not so good that you want to have four copies all the time. And I know, I know, Spencer, that's, I'm, I'm making too much sense right now. I know you're a lover of the two of I know. I, I actually have so many thoughts on what you just said. One, I had a real conversation with somebody about, Kithion, Dauntless Bodyguard, Discard, uh, Soldier of the Pit, like, why Why does everybody just think, like, you should just play four of us, like, that's correct? That's not true. It's not true. One, I think the one of Kithion is hot. I think, like, there's so many things that you can do with that segment of the slot, and to view all of your Savannah Lions as one slot, that you're putting, like, uh... RPG points into, like we've talked about in previous episodes, is a way to think about this, and we should do that instead of anything else. Anyway, I'm going to shut up, because I could go on, like... I I had an inappropriate <laughs> rant about this exact thing. Tatiana's Command. Yeah, if you didn't know that I was going to talk about this card, then you don't know who I am. Uh, this card's a sorcery. You choose two. You exile. Target player's graveyard. You gain... Tatiana, yeah, you're I, I, was, I was like, oh, is this the white command? And then I thought you were joking for a second. I pulled it up. You're good. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm going to restart there. My bad. Uh, no, thank you. Search your library for up to two land cards. This one says land cards. Uh, and then put them on the battlefield. Tap and shuffle. Create two 2-2 two, two green bear creature tokens. And put two counters on each creature control. This card does it all. This is it. This is... The ultimate, it's automatic, I'm sure of it, guys. Like, this is... What is this card? It's the second coming of Hour of Promise. Second coming of Hour of Promise. Honestly, like, I've been doing a lot of talks about Hour of Promise in in Pioneer. In a lot of situations, like, if you're not going 7 into whatever you're going to with that, this card is actually better. Um, And it it is always Hour of Promise for 6. I I I think this is I, not only am I hopeful for this card. I almost put this in my hits. I, I think this card is insane, and that Mason doesn't get a talk because he was just super disrespectful. Um, so I yield my time to Mason. Yeah. No, you're not gonna do that. He just called it a, a limited bomb only. I didn't say it was a limited bomb only. I just said it was a limited bomb. 
Oh, I mean, that's true. That's yeah. factual. Yeah. You're projecting that only there, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's a limited bomb. Mason, what do you think of this card? Gotcha. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I, I don't know. I, I haven't thought about this. It, it's interesting when you talk about the ramp deck. I, it, I think it matters, too, a lot on, like, what the kind of ramping you're doing. For example, like, cultivates into hours, like, you know, you talked about before. Like, that's really yes. strong. But if you're, uh, what's it called, explosive agitating into this, that's like a better yeah. lineup. Yes. So it kind of matters on like how you're building your ramp deck and what you're going to pay off. And like, is exactly. this Exactly. I hope this isn't your payoff for what it's worth. I think the fact that it gets to be your bridge uh, as some number is really important here. And like the fact that also it gets to be main main deck graveyard hate for your ramp deck to, to play against those type of decks uh, depending on how you've built your ramp deck, maybe you're a creature ramp deck, and the the counters matter. Maybe you just need to hold the ground, and you just need the two twos. Like the fact that it grabs any land, people never understand how powerful that is. They always underestimate that line of text. Like people have played the Nissa's Nissa's renewal, like the grab three forests, put them into play, gain seven life if you have ten lands, like. This card's so much better than that. Like, so much better than that. This is this is my biggest hopeful. I want to play that with this card in it. In this works well with my Dryad card. Uh, it sure. Just ramps you up and then... It does, because you got to put the... You got to put the... You put it's the also... On. Like, yeah, this card alone, because it can search for any land, just gets you straight to Ulamog Manor, right? That was true of Hour 2, though. Uh, you had to have you had to have the other land, right? As as long as you played, if as long as you yeah. played a land after, yes. But yes, that is factual. That the the same sequence would happen, uh, with this. Uh, Mishra's command is next. It is X and a red sorcery. You choose two. Choose target player. They may discard up to X cards, and then disc. Uh, they may draw. Sorry, then they draw a card. Uh, for each card discarded this way, so it loots. Um, not loot, it rummages. Um, this, uh, deal X damage to target creature, deal X damage to target planeswalker, and target creature gets X and gains haste until end of turn. Pl plus X plus O. Um, this is a cool version of the fireball effect, in my opinion, that, uh, does a ton of different things. It kills creatures, it kills planeswalkers, and then in certain situations, it actually fireballs them by pumping your creature, uh, as well as in some situations being like, all right, I've uh, flooded out, or like, you know, I'm going to get rid of all this stuff. Huge fan of this card. I, I'm i always going to be a fan of the fireball effects. Like, I, I just think that, like, I think it was the pre-show, Abe talked about how mana matters a lot in this set, and I think this card kind of proves it. It's like, oh yeah, mana mana's important, and uh, I think this card's really cool. Yeah, it's very versatile. Uh, you know, if you're looking for Pioneer, maybe you're looking at the RC, like, well, not exactly sure if it goes there, but you could do something like Heroic, where, you know, you plus X plus O gain haste a creature, and then, like, ping something out of the way, you know, so, also you can rummage away extra lane, start flooding out, uh, yeah, it's a very interesting card. Yeah, I, I think for Pioneer, like, is maybe a fun of, but in Standard, I think it has a lot of applications. Yeah, I think the most frequent use case for this card, because it's kind of hard to tell, like, how you would really want to like play with a card like this when it has so many different like options like because like giving the thing haste kind of feels like a cantrip mode to me it's like oh if i like really need to just use it to like draw some creatures like okay kill your blocker like 
give my thing like plus two plus own haste attack because I'm it, it, it costs a lot to do all that in the same turn but being able to either have the option to kill a creature and a planeswalker cleanly for like like if someone plays planeswalker and makes a token with it or whatever and then you're able to spend one card to answer all of that that's a really really powerful effect or if you're just able to answer the planeswalker itself or a creature that your opponent plays itself and get to like rummage a few of the cards out of your hand to smooth your draw both of those are really, really valuable, um, really valuable outcomes, and I feel like that's like most of the strength of this card. It's going to be is the ability for it to be that onboard two for one, but really just the constant um, option for it to be like the best part of fire prophecy times a million. Abe, talk to me about your first favorite. You have hostile negotiations. Yeah, so hostile negotiations is three and a black for an instant. And it says exile the top three cards of your library in a face down pile. Then exile the next top the next top three cards in your library in another face down pile. Look at the cards in each pile, then turn a pile of your choice face up. An opponent chooses one of those piles. Put all cards in the chosen pile into your hand, and the rest in your graveyard. You lose three life. This is once again a fun reimagining of the factor fiction kind of card. Where, you know, you present your opponent with some information, maybe they don't have the whole picture, um, they have to make a choice that's kind of tough for them, and, like, at the end of it, you're drawing cards, so who cares? And I just love cards like this. I think Atris, Oracle of Half-Truths, or whatever it is, from Theros, where you put one pile face up and one pile face down of three cards, was one of the most fun cards in that set for me um it really captured something they that cards with this kind of text hadn't captured since factor fiction of like really kind of squeezing your opponent on what the right choice is because it's a good mix of them not knowing exactly what you want or what the full information is um in a way that like factor fiction kind of made it was a little unfun because it made people like have to guess based on what's your hand and you always won this kind of makes you put yourself to the test of like if I show them the better pile, are they going to give me that one? Um, because they want to know what's in my hand as opposed to maybe the things face down or like better or worse. And it introduces a really, really fun sub game to casting the card. And I just love playing cards like these. So I probably won't play it in anything in a tournament or whatever. But if I ever see this in a cube or like I ever just get a chance, an excuse to cast it, I will have a ton of fun with it. Is this card Seamoggery? Kind uh... of. It, it, it's different. So one big difference between like Atris two is that the piles are pre-chosen. You the, there's always three and three. You don't get to move cards. You just decide which one your opponent sees. Oh, I see. Okay, so it's Steamoggery. So it, I mean, it's, it's not, not Steamoggery. It's Steamoggery like in the it. sense that they're choosing the pile you get, but it's Atris yeah. in the sense that you're choosing which pile they see. So like I could show you. Yeah. Like. I mean, I probably you probably never want to be like, I'll show you three lands because odds are your opponent, if you're casting a four-man draw spell, isn't just going to like give you three unknowns compared to knowing you have your next three land drops. But if I show you like, all right, the one I'm showing you has the supreme verdict you can't beat and two lands, like, are you just going to give me that or are you going to give me the other pile that apparently is not worth showing you, you know? Um, there's a lot of like, yeah, a lot of neat things you can do. It, it's, it, it plays the information game really well. I really like that. It also, for what's worth, is a draw six if you can build with your graveyard matters. Because a lot of these uh, will, like, put them back somewhere or exile them or do something with it. This one puts it in the graveyard. So 
uh, you know, if you have some deck with like unearth cards like in this set, that could be something. Yeah, definitely. The the four mana put three cards from the top of your hand, mill three. It's kind of like uh like Shadow Prophecy in that way of being another black draw spell that just enables the graveyard. Yeah, so my other uh, favorite card in this set is Portal to Phyrexia, which is a 9-mana artifact that when it enters the battlefield, each opponent sacrifices 3 creatures, and at the beginning of your upkeep, you put target creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control, and it's a Phyrexian addition to its other types. I am a sucker for Debtors now, the original... Like, here's the thing that's just going to reanimate everything for the rest of the game. It's just such a sweet effect to me. And the fact that this is, like, not only telling such a great story of, like, the Phyrexian invasion of, like, they show up, everything gets blown up, and they're, like, scrapping things together as Phyrexians. It's just, like, there's so many things about it that appeal to me as a player of, like, it's big, it's impactful when it comes in. It's worth spending a bunch of mana on. It takes over a game in, like, this way that I think is really fun personally. It really, like, reminds me of some of my favorite cards that I, like, started playing Magic with, even just casually. And so it really it really is one that hits home for me in a set that is, like, like promises, not in the same way as Dominary yeah, Night, but promises really a good amount of nostalgia. I think it's cool, like Gabe really said, and that I want to refurbish it in Pioneer. Well, ATB sack three things. Nice blood tithe harvester. Spencer, you have any thoughts on the portal? Not too much. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I think that this card has that, like, there's actually another card in the set that this also reminds me of. The six mana, it might be more than six, it might be eight mana blue enchantment that, like, has, like, this omniscience effect. Uh, like, they both have this, like, asking to be broken question that. I think I think that we don't have the answer to yet, but that it, it makes a lot of sense to put that into this kind of slot. Yeah, Abe, I really want to hop into one of my favorite cards because I've been excited to talk about this one. Jotun's Descendant. Uh, green and white for a human artificer, 1-1. One, one. Whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. Pretending that it doesn't say this card a lot of times, cards like this say themselves. Uh, this works really well with the Teething Wormlet that Abe talked about earlier. And how Spencer mentioned earlier, there used to be this hard and scale deck of old in Pioneer. Uh, that deck lost a couple cards from bandings and stuff. But maybe moving into this more green-white space with like this Conclave Mentor could be what that deck is needing. and allows you to really grow up that huge numbers. And so I'm a really big fan of this deck. I really like, you know, moving around counters and artifacts. I think it's going to be really fun. And, you know, one down we'll play the Proliferate Cube, and I'm sure this card is going to be in it. So I'm excited. Yeah, I'm a little sad because, like, to me, the thing that I want in the Harder Scales deck is, like, obviously Winding Constrictor, and I just don't think that you have the mana yet to be, like, this junk version of the deck, or Abzan Well, you have the version. green-white Winding Constrictor. That's true. That's yeah. not Winding Constrictor, though, Mason. Well, it, it plays the same with these cards, right? Okay, or I think it not, you're it's not a snake. It's not a snack. Oh, sure, 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 sure. Sorry, I forgot about the lore. <laughs> I, I'm snake guy, according to Mason. He already forgot that I'm snake guy. Uh, no, I. Uh, there's like a ton of cards that will work with this. Uh, to, to Mason's point, like there is actually a winding constrictor that works with this. Yeah, I think it's hot. I love things that trigger on artifact tokens, especially ones that, uh, like I'm, I'm dreaming. 
of of getting a lot of thopters out of like a hangerback walker since that's all we're allowed to do in pioneer these days kind of a walking ballista and then just throwing counters everywhere for what it's worth yeah. i i just want to say this i actually hope that they unban walking ballista before they ban a card in in this format would you ban heliod if you did uh yes yeah i would Anyways, I one thing to note about that card too that I don't think we did a good job mentioning is it is not once per turn as well, which often once again cards like this are. So with things like animation module and that whole family of cards in Pioneer, you could have put a counter, make a servo, put a counter, make a servo, and basically the first artifact lets you kick it X times for X two twos or like a bunch of one ones and a big thing. So it's a little grindy and a little maybe slow for current Pioneer, but it's possible there's some big payoff card like. What if we get an Arcbound Ravager reprint in the next set? That could be really strong with this card. Uh, Abe is loving the idea what of Arcbound Ravager. Dude. Yeah, <laughs> what, what if, if that happened? I, I anyone, was nodding my head like... Any I gamers? Was, I was nodding my head like crazy until you said that, but I, you know, so hard that my head almost turned to ash. Mason, why don't you talk to me about your next card? I want to take any gamers want to bet on Arcbound Ravager in the next year. Hang on. Wait one second on the podcast. The podcast keep recording. I want to hear. Anyone want to take me on one... Dinner at the good Wendy's four for four meal. A little value for us. Anyone want a game? Mason, if you need a Wendy's four for four, I'll just buy you one. I don't I don't want one. I want to win the bet and know that I'm eating my four for four for free. You know, it's good value. <laughs> Anyways, Ashnod Flesh Merchant is my or sorry. Is it Mechanic? Yeah, Flesh Mechanist, sorry. Uh, is my other favorite from this set. It's black for a legendary creature, human artificer, 1-1. One, one. Apparently, human artificers are my thing this set. Uh, but it has death touch. And then she has, whenever this creature attacks, you may sacrifice another creature. If you do create a tap power stone, then she has five. Exile a creature card from your graveyard. Create a tapped 3-3 three, three colorless zombie artifact creature token. Uh, so she kind of fuels herself, right? Like she attacks, she sacrifices something, and then makes a tap power stone. Tap power stones only work for casting artifacts, but they do work for activating any ability. It does not have to be an artifact ability. So she kind of fuels herself with not only getting the creatures gone, but making a 3-3. And it's kind of a real, like, interesting build-around slash enabler all in one card. And it really makes you think, like, okay, what can I do with this? How can I generate a lot of value? Um, I think it's Shig- Shigriki is the card's name from Kamigawa. That is a uh, channel... And it's green XX channel return X things from your graveyard to your hand. And power stones and that work really well together. If you're able to form some sort of engine and let you maybe rebuy some of this stuff if you're not looking to, you know, make an army of zombies. So I think this card's really cool. Yeah, this is one of my uh like one of the cards I kind of have my eye on for uh Recto Sacrifice and Pioneer. There's a couple of one drops in this set uh that really in my eyes have potential to to fit into that deck in in a couple copies, depending on how you really want to position yourself and the things you really want to accomplish. Um, and just the ability to not only be a sack outlet for uh, for creatures that you might steal with uh, with a threatened effect for, for free, basically, right? But also being a way to kind of have more resiliency and staying power a threat that, like, really does something to to, like, grind the games out and generate resources and games that go along. Uh, for all all in a one drop that's just like a one with death touch otherwise is just a really really powerful combination and i think that um there's a lot of really cool utility there i don't have a lot to say on this card i this would not be the black one drop that i would have been excited about uh 
I do think it's cool, though. And you actually taught me something, Mason, that I think that might have been missed around the Power Stones on activated abilities. So, thank you. Abe, let's hit, start with your first hit. What do you got for us? Yeah, I guess so, you already had your first one. Yeah, <laughs> so my first hit was uh, was Late Arms. We talked about um, along as Spencer's hopeful. But my second hit is Surge Engine. And Surge Engine is a 2-mana... 3-2 artifact creature construct with defender and three activated abilities. And these three activated abilities are single blue, surge engine loses defender and gains this creature can't be blocked. Two and a blue, surge engine becomes blue and has base power and toughness 5-4, activate only if surge engine doesn't have defender. And four blue blue, draw three cards, activate only if surge engine is blue and only once. I don't know if you guys know this, but there's a little deck right now in Standard that is full of blue cards and doesn't really care about, um, like, playing to the battlefield that much and really cares about having evasive and clean threats to back up its suite of instants. And the fact that this card is just another card along the lines of Evolve Sleeper that lets you spend that extra mana that maybe you didn't, like, have a good place to put it but in a color that much more often wants to have mana available to itself and look for ways to spend it on the opponent's end step. This is just like the perfect threat for a deck like that in my mind. I think that um, being something you can play on any turn, uh, really, like you can play it on turn two if you just need the body and want to get aggressive, um, but you can wait on it if you like are worried about your opponent having removal spells or you just need to interact early. It's cheap enough, and then the abilities all are instant speed and low cost enough that as the game develops, it's pretty easy to have this just become an untouchable clock. You know, it, it can't be blocked. It's a four-turn clock on its own if you're able to activate it just on curve. Um, and yeah, I think this card is is immensely powerful and is a huge boon to an already very good mono blue deck in standard. Yeah, I'm a little surprised to hear this take on this card. One, because I think there's a lot of competition for this slot in that deck in the number of creatures that you play, and I do not believe that this will win out over other stuff. However, having it as an option is pretty great. However, um, between this and some other cards in the set, I actually think that mono blue Tron in... Uh, in modern actually is going to have a whole new life in how it is built. And I actually think this card is part of that, like pretty heavily. Uh, Modern Blutron historically has been this like really awkward controlling Sundering Titan deck. And I believe that between this card, the seven drop Snapcaster Mage and other stuff, uh, that there is actually a world in which Modern Blutron uh, well, let me let me back up a little bit. Tron itself, like Mono Green Tron, has some really good matchups in Modern right now, but it has a lot of problems that I believe that Blue actually fixes. And I believe between this card and how Abe actually made a really good point about like when you play it, how you play it, how it interacts with like you know it, you can play it to the board early, you can play it really late, and it still does basically the same thing, and like. All that stuff. Uh, I I think this card, the seven drop, and like some other stuff. Uh, there's there's a draw spell in this in the set as well that like 
I think really helps Monoblutron even better than like Compulsive Research. Uh, I I think that this card is a hit for a different reason than you, which makes me think that this card might be better than I think it is. Yeah, it's interesting. I played Ledger Shredder in the RCQ that I won with Mono Blue Tempo, and I the card overperformed all day and it was great. And I'm pretty sure I didn't need it. Um, but this card does a different thing than that, where it lets you race. Uh, but it is also an artifact, so it's interesting. I I don't know. I could totally believe this card is just actually the Stone Cold Nuts in Standard, and just very easily takes over the game because once it becomes a five four, it's really really big. I guess the only the thing it lines up poorly against is Cut Down before that, um, but you know. Whatever cards die to removal spells, so I don't know. This is a really interesting one. I, I this think... one doesn't die to go for the throw, though. That's true, and that might be a card that we see an over, um, maybe not over correction for, but over saturation of. Go... Yeah, cards are gonna play a bunch of that at first, and then yeah. this is a great way to punish that early on too. So, you know, your din, your gins all die to go for the throats easily, but this does not. So yeah. Yeah, this also, I will just give a quick shout out to Tezzeret again. That this is a card that plays fantastically with Tezzeret. Yeah, Tezzeret's um, great. If you were to be an artifact based mid range deck in blue, like being able to draw three cards on using that static ability, the cost reduction for the activate ability on your opponent's turn, to be able to draw three cards on the third ability and be able to activate each of these for like the first level for one mana. And then the second level for one mana are just so immensely powerful. I just want to be clear that when we were doing our re-review of Tezzeret, I was like, I my I do not have not given up on this card. And this set has proven me so right. <laughs> I believe uh I am up next from there. So I've got a lame one and a cool one, depending on how you look at it. I got Brother's End up first. That's one red red for a sorcery. It has two modes. You can either deal three damage to each creature and each planeswalker, or you destroy all artifacts with mana value three or less. Another Anger of the Gods variant for Pioneer and Standard, but in decks like Arclight Phoenix, there's always this like, do we play Sweltering Suns because it doesn't get whatever Phoenix is, or do we want the Exile for other decks that can weirdly come up sometimes, slash the Mirror if they get ahead. But Brother's End very cleanly solves the Unlicensed Hearse problem. And other various things like Graph Digger's Cage, etc., etc., uh, while also being a wrath for creature deck. So it lets you condense your sideboard space, very much like a braid, um, but just it can't kill any everything, I should say, with the bottom mode, just three or less. Uh, which makes sense in you know, a set full of big artifact things um, that you don't want to just wipe everything out. But Brothers End, really strong for that. And then in standard, you know, pretty nice removal spell that can check things like Power Stones if those get out of control. And those cards are potentially really scary if you have the right synergies long enough down the line. I think that this is one of the best cards in the set. I I, I think people have forgotten what like real good three mana sweepers look like. Because we've gotten so many duds for a while. And this card is not just a good three mana sweeper, like it takes care of, like, it It can take care of Planeswalkers. Like, this this card's kind of nutso uh, in, like, a lot of different ways. And also a nutso in, like, all the way to Legacy. Like, uh, this is, th three mana is such, like, a key pivotal point in Magic for mana cost. I would not be surprised if this 
see play throughout all of Magic outside of Vintage. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe even Vintage with its secondary mode. Yeah, I think that the ability of this card to just clean up, like, Oni Cult Anvils and Witches Ovens and all these sort of, like, sacrifice artifacts and just a lot of the residual things that are put in play, even, like, just being a an Anger of the Gods style effect that also allows you to kill, like, the odd unlicensed service in the matches where it matters in Pioneer. Um, already puts this card at the realm of just being like, oh, it's just the best one you can play. And the fact that all those use cases only get better under a lot of circumstances where uh, the artifact destroying ability is important mean that I feel like there's only more... There, there are going to be decks where they want to play a pseudo Shatterstorm first and have the the use case be the fail rate of, oh, but I can also use it as my sweeper card. And the fact that it's able to play both sides of that when they're both really useful sideboard cards is just going to, to absolutely make this card yeah, uh, a slam we, dunk. We never, we, I mean, we mentioned it, but we didn't really talk about it too. Hitting Planeswalkers is so important. Like the Phoenix decks often in response to that is Narset Part of Avails. When that card minus is, it goes straight to three. And then in current Pioneer, if you chose the main deck a card like this, which wouldn't be the most unreasonable thing in the world for some decks, card in the great creator goes down to three basically all the time when it's played. And that really changes like the way your opponent's going to play, where it's like, oh yeah, my old control lives through this, but I guess I'll lose Karn, well, so I'll take up for a turn first. Can you imagine just like hitting Karn, two elves, and it's self inherited? Like, that that's both a ton of devotion, and while they're maybe the trolls still in play, like, they don't have Karn anymore. Like, I think it's mm-hmm. huge. Yeah, that's a really, uh, you know, I feel like an easy hit. Uh, that card's just pretty great. I feel like this card is also that way for standard, but I might have to do some selling, so I'm curious to see what y'all think. We have Clay Champion. X, you can spend X on this, and this has four as well. So, Artifact Creature Construct 2-2. Two, two. Uh, the Clay Champion enters the battlefield with three plus one plus one candidates for each green green spent to cast it. So, it's each instance of double green. You have to have two green in order to trigger that plus three counters on this card. It also has the ability of when Clay Champion enters the battlefield, choose up to two other creatures you control for each white white spent to cast Clay Champion. Put a plus one plus one counter on each of them. So if you use green green, this thing will get three plus one plus one counters. You use white white, you're gonna have uh, two target creatures uh, each get a plus one plus one counter. So this card can be I like a four I mana set. I don't think that's how this works. Um, so let's read that second part again. So, when it enters the battlefield, choose up to two other target creatures. For each white, white, put a 1-1 one, mm-hmm. one counter. So, at a minimum, they'll get two counters if you play white, 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 white. If you, it's yeah, two but, things with two counters. Each. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then that, this, that's not what you but, said. With the green, but yeah, in the green part, it gets plus three on itself. But you can, yeah. because of the X, you can spend as much white as you have. So, every instance of two no, white... It, but but you said that they get one counter. That's not true. If you're playing it for white, 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 two things get two counters. For each white, white spent, put a plus one plus counter on each creature. Correct. For So it's always two targets? Yes. But it's and the amount of counters it, is determined by the white mana spent. So you're you're saying that they get two counter, that they get one counter each? That's not true. They get, for each of them, they get one counter for each white, white. They each get one counter per white white. Okay. So, if, for the, example, if you spent six white, they would each get three counters. 
Am I crazy? He didn't say that, right? He said it wrong. I did also hear him say. Yeah, right. you said it wrong. <laughs> like you're acting. But I think like he might have also just been saying. I think <laughs> it, he also might have just been saying before each white mana and or like yeah. thought he was saying it and and we didn't understand. Okay. Yeah, it, it it's one counter minimum if you spend white white. So what I think I was saying is it's white oh, white. Oh, you're talking about white white green green. Exactly. Yeah. Oh. I was trying. Yeah. So there's a bunch of different ways you can play the card where. If you spend four green, it's a four mana seven seven. If you spend green green white white, it's a five five, and you get set. You still get seven power just spread across more bodies. You get two plus one on other things. You can do four white right, and extra power goes around. And then because the spell has X, uh, in your deck, it's probably going to either be a mono white deck or a mono green deck most of yeah. the time. And so in the late game, if you top deck this card, you're like a mono white deck. It's like oh, spend the extra two mana, get an extra two counters one on each of these creatures you see you're getting the two separated uh and then if you're in a mono green stompy deck with this card it's just like a four mana seven seven in an aggro deck that every you know basically two more lands you get increases in power by three so you know it just is like this rate monster uh and it just like it's something you'd pretty easily i think play if it was a minimum of two instances of either effect happening but since you have to choose yeah. and build in different ways i think it's way stronger than that yeah, this card immediately caught my eye as one of the cards. We talked about the Mono White Devotion deck, and, like, I've already hinted that I think that it could be a Karn deck. And, like, this is a great Karn get for that deck. It's also a great Karn get for Mono Green. If you just, like, want a really big beater, I don't think that Mono Green is in that point because it's still more of a combo deck. But, uh, honestly, like, I think this card's playable in Standard. I think this card's playable in Pioneer. Um, I, this is one of my favorite cards in the entire set. I do have a question though, because you're the third person to say that it's a seven, seven. Uh, if I play green, 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 yeah. green for this card, it enters with three, one, one counters for each green. Is it not a four mana eight, eight? It's a two, two to begin with. Yep. And I get six counters. It's yeah. Six yeah. counters. Yeah, I, I just did the math wrong. Quickly. No. Yeah, so yeah, you're yeah. not the first. No, actually for what it's worth, Twitter also said this. Which is why I brought it up. Uh, it is. Sure. I don't know where people got seven, but it is yeah. in fact a four mana. Hearthstone memes die hard, Spencer. Is yeah, that what it is? It. Maybe there was a four mana seven seven meme in Hearthstone. Oh, okay. So, so I I won't name the people, but somebody else, and it got a lot of traction. Said this was a four mana seven seven. I was like, I've done the math like three times. It's not hard math, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it's an eight. Yeah, also for West for Spencer, the Mono White Devotion deck you keep alluding to exists already and does play Karn. <laughs> I know that, but I think that it is not clear to people. Sure. You, you just said that you think you'd be a Karn deck. I'm like, baby, they're already there. They're ready to slot this one in. I, I, I get it. I, yeah. I watched your coverage this weekend, Mason. Yeah, it's sick. Okay. So, so I got to ask. Which one are you guys more excited to play this as? Are you playing it for quad white or are you playing it for quad green? I think that green. in standard it's green. I think for Pioneer it's white. I want it in green and both. I want to play Galta. There's no chip. You could just play. Oh, it's Galta for Karn though. That's kind of hot. Galta. Mason knows how I feel about Galta. I had a Galta I... phase in Pioneer. I love Galta. I just sometimes I queue up decks in Pioneer. I just play Galta decks in leagues. I play against Cat Oven deck because I'm like nice deck. There is a one hundred. <laughs> there was a one hundred percent chance that I queued into an Explorer league with Galta in my deck last night. 
Yeah, Galta's like the Swedish, <laughs> Swedish Green Mythic of all time. The like, Honestly, the biggest knock to this card is that it does not get haste from Regisaur Alpha. That's what I'm learning. Brutal. We're going to need a dinosaur transfer card. There was the dinosaur construct. Yeah, where's mm -hmm. the where's the dinosaur Ixalan? Let's go. The 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 this construct should... Ixalan. Let's go. It should be a machine we, version of we Kaluga, move so on. it's a dinosaur construct. We got to move on. <laughs> uh let's talk about this one first. We're going to talk about Obliterating Bolt. This card is a one and a red for a sorcery. Deal 4 damage target creature or planeswalker. If that creature or planeswalker die this turn to exile it instead. Not that long ago, I went to a local event where I played against like mono red glory bringer, uh, goblin chain whirler, mid rangey bullcrap with a bunch of lava coils. And I was like, this is the worst matchup that mono green could ever ask for. And their lava coils couldn't even hit my planeswalkers. Uh, I think this is a huge get for gruel in Pioneer. And I think that Lava Coil is one of my favorite standard cards ever printed. A huge get in standard. I'm a huge fan. I am really, really glad to see this card. I think that's an auto hit. And uh, sorry, goodbye. Lava. Anyone who owns Lava Coils that like is really sad about their 87 cents, like yeah, goodbye. Yeah, this is just strictly better Lava Coil in every way. It just it answers more things and does the same things we're already doing. And Lava Coil, despite its shortcomings as a removal spell, was still just good enough to be in rotation of the, the removal suites of mid-range decks and of decks like Rule that just need those kinds of answers. So this is an absolute slam dunk hit. I don't know if you have anything else to say about it, Mason. Nope. Nailed it. Uh, my next card, I think, is Standard and Pioneer playable. I'm curious to see if it can get past that. One, I want to be clear that uh, there was a legendary deck in Explorer. I don't know, Mason, if you remember this this beauty. But I'm curious your thoughts on this card. This is Hajar Loyal Bodyguard. It is a legendary creature human soldier. You can sacrifice it to give legendary creatures you control plus one plus O, and they gain indestructible in the end of turn, and it's a 3-3. Three, three. I think this card is a slam dunk. I it it's hit off of Burning Termissary, it like is a great like one of to two of in the aggressively costed uh mid-range decks that are like you know trying to beat up on the mono red decks uh gruel actually needs a couple more two drops in standard specifically i think this card is a slam dunk it's really good with bard class it's also really good with the yeah you know the deck the bard class J deck let's go is it joda the joda standard five color deck um that's really a band deck splashing this is good in that deck too which is also we've seen uh guest of the show kellen pastor the stallion experiment with that in pioneer and uh i think this card could go in there as well yeah i think uh what's the name of that other legend from afr that the bar class decks were playing like uh it's just like some tutu that had a pack tactics trigger and like a yeah yeah yep. yeah that card kind of really bad this card kind of much better. Like I don't know the amount of times I can count that people were playing like rule decks that had like the best thing they were burning trimisering into being like guy of the endless dance. Yeah, this is just so much better than that in so many ways. Um, that yeah, and it being a legend for the for the Jota decks, like you said, Mason, 
and it having an ability that's like if you are playing a deck like bard class now your biggest weakness which is that you're really just trying to put a bunch of creatures in play is mitigated by the fact that you can protect those creatures with your two drop so yeah I, and this is like one of the solidest two drop two two of slam dunks for a legendary creature for like these decks in a long time that is going to do it for this week's show. Let us know your pick twos in the comments. We're not doing Patreon questions. We're not doing YouTube comments because these shows go long. You can find me at Spencer13H. You can find Mason at Mason E. Clark underscore. Mason, people people want to find you on coverage, though. Where can you do that? Find me at NRG series. I don't I don't know when I'll be commentating again. Norm's traveling today, but uh I got some good reception and it seems like people liked it, so I'm hopeful I'll be back in the booth sometime in the relatively near future. Yeah. Uh and Abe, if people want to like here's the thing, man. There's a bunch of artifact cards coming out. People might be interested in some of that uh sweet, sweet action of hammer time. Where can they find you? Yeah, if you want to figure out what the best Urza Saga targets are in the world, you can come contact me over my Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash more nothings. And uh, you can also find all the random things that I talk about on Twitter or that Mason tags me in. And finally, for me, I'm all full on coaching sessions. I appreciate those who reached out. But you can find me every week or every month on the Smash Through podcast and every other week on the Need to Nerd podcast, as well as covering all of the GG Lehigh events on twitch.tv slash heasy media. Thank you everybody so much for listening. Like, subscribe, review, and comment. And we'll see you all next time with another episode of Constructed Criticism. Podcast magic is-